This is the Adopted Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hey guys, welcome to the Adopted Mom Podcast. This is season two, episode 13. And in this episode, we're actually going to get to hear three different interviews. Now, as adoptive moms, this is so touch and go. We know that we're learning as we go along and we get to see our kids experience and live it a little bit, but it's so hard to understand um, the hindsight because we haven't been there yet. So today's episode is going to feature interviews from three different adults who were adopted at various ages and through various systems. First of all, we have Kathleen Barnes. She was actually in the podcast in season one with her daughter, Kennedy. So in addition to being adopted as a baby, she grew up to adopt herself. And I just, I love it. She has such a unique perspective that she's gotten to live both sides of it. And she's going to chat with us about, um, I don't know, about what went right for her and how that story could have so easily gone different ways. Second, we're going to have Leah Barsky. She was adopted from Russia at eight months old, and she's grown up, obviously, as an American, but she knows the difference. She knows that that wasn't originally her home, and she has this perspective, and it hasn't broken her. She's still maintained a great head on her shoulders, and she hasn't. she's going to talk to us about not letting that identity crisis break you, you know, coming to that fork in the road where we have to choose whether we're going to let this completely destroy us that we are so confused about who we are, or we don't know, or we have so many questions, or we're going to trust God and keep moving. Lastly, we're going to talk to J.P. Bubbis. He was adopted privately, but it was a similar situation to foster care at the age of 16, and he's in college now. And after a few bumpy years, he's come to really love his story and appreciate it, and I can't wait for you to hear from all three of them. Like I said, first, we're going to talk to Kathleen Barnes, and we'll jump into that here in just a minute. But first, I wanted to remind you guys about our sponsor for this month, and it's Christine Bauer with her book, Those Three Words. It's a story of being a birth mom and what that has meant for her. And I always link to that in my show notes, but you can find it on Amazon by searching for those three words. It's an amazing read and you will not regret picking up that book. So let's jump into my interview with Kathleen. All right. Welcome, Kathleen. And I have to give this uh, this caveat before we start your interview that you are officially the second person who is a repeat uh, repeat guest on the Adoptive Mom podcast. So congratulations. That is a very big honor. Thank you. <laughs> um, some of you may remember Kathleen from her episode in season one with her adopted daughter, Kennedy. And that was mainly about Kennedy's story. I'm not even sure that you mentioned in that episode that you were also adopted. Um and so I'm so excited to have you on the podcast again. Welcome, welcome. Um, but I think that I'm so excited to hear your adoption story because I love hearing from kids who were adopted and then grew up to adopt themselves. And I love hearing how their stories piece together um, in that. So let's let's jump right in, if that's OK with you. What um, how did your parents come to adopt you? Yes, Definitely. Um, and I will definitely say as someone who um, was adopted, that was kind of a bucket list item that I thought would be neat someday. Like, ooh, I got to be adopted. I hope that maybe I'll get to do that someday as well. So it was really neat to be able to, um, you know, continue that blessing with someone. Um, so my parents um, actually began 
they got married in like, oh my gosh, I don't even know. They're old. (laughs) (laughs) But um, they got married, had two biological kiddos, um, two boys. And then about 10 years down the road, um, they actually started doing foster care. And my dad is a doctor. My mom was a nurse. And so they specifically took cases where children were deemed like medically fragile. Um, and so they would take kind of those cases that were more difficult, um, feeding tubes, uh, malnourished, things like that. And my, um, they actually took two different girls, um, totally different situations, a year apart. Um, one had cerebral palsy and then the other was, had spina bifida, um, and they adopted both of those girls. And so those are actually my sisters, not biological, but um, they were both adopted um, in the 70s. And after my sister Sarah, which is the one that has spina bifida, they were like, okay, we're done. And I think they closed and all that. Then in 84, 83, I don't even know. You're aging yourself. 84, I know. <laughs> I know. Back in the 1900s. Um, <laughs> Isn't that a weird thing to say? Yes, it is. Um, so I don't know much of the situation. Like, I, I hear some stories, but little disclaimer, my dad passed away when I was 12. And I think he knows more of the story than my mom did. And so... Um, I don't have all the pieces, but Mm -hmm. here's what I do know. Um, So my dad is my, not my biological, my adopted father was an obstetrician. And there came a situation where there was a very young girl, like 14, was pregnant, not from the area. Her family was also, like the dad was also a doctor. And they, uh, something came about to where my dad knew these people and said, we will adopt this baby. And actually he even delivered me. Wow. So they knew it was going to happen. It was a planned thing. I know my mom has said they even went on like a little vacation. My mom and dad went on a vacation like around my due date and she said she was a nervous wreck because she was like what if we're gone and she goes into labor so they knew that this was going to happen and my dad my adopted dad delivered me so he was literally Um, the first person to hold you that's so cool (laughs) yes and that is a really special thing because my sisters don't have that same story so it's always fun to be able to say um yeah that he was yeah the first person to meet me Um, and so I'm trying to think of where to go from there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, you were, you were just saying that, you know, you were, you were a planned adoption, which is, I mean, we, we talk about planned babies a lot. And when you adopted the foster care system, not much of that is planned. And you know, this having adopted from the foster care system, but you were a planned adoption, which is really cool. Yes, definitely. Um, I know I have some pictures because my birthday is December 28th. And so I know my mom has pictures of me with a big bow on my head. They brought me home from the hospital. Um, so, and my sister, Sarah's birthday is December 27th. So <laughs> they joke that I was the birthday present she did not want. Yeah, you stole her thunder. 
<laughs> I really did, and I totally didn't mean to. <laughs> oh, but it's just kind of a joke because it was, I think, her sixth birthday. And so, obviously, what six-year-old wants a baby? Um, a baby sister. <laughs> so, um, so some things, you know, Alex, you share or you asked me to come on here and just kind of share, you know, an adoption story where um, I continued in life in a productive way and, you know, in some ways, quote, a success of, you know, being a, you know, a married woman with children and a job and a bachelor's degree. Um, and so I, well, and you're a kinda... teacher, so you're like raising up the future generation, <laughs> which is very notable no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned all that too, and, you know, asked me to do this. And so I just kind of started, you know, thinking like, okay, so what was it about, you know, my adoption story that really, um, contributed to that and what made, um, mine a success again, quote success. I don't know what what the measure is there. Um, (laughs) But I think one of the main things that I've noticed just from observing other stories and being around other people is, you know, growing up, it was never a secret. It was always just like a common understanding and knowledge that we were adopted, like me and my sisters. We just, that was just kind of one other, like her hair is brown, her eyes are brown, and oh yeah, she's adopted. It was just part of our description but in the same sense it wasn't something where we were felt like we were like separate we weren't treated like different necessarily it was just an open like it was never a secret does that make sense yeah absolutely there I always say that you know there was no sit down conversation when you were eight for them to tell you that you were adopted exactly And so, and in that sense too, you know, I always, always felt like I was, this was my family. I mean, I never felt like I wasn't supposed to be part of this family. You know, my parents very much highlighted it as that was God's plan for us to be this in this family. Um, And so I never felt um, that I didn't fit with the family I was with. Um, and so I think that's really important. Um, I know people make decisions for different reasons. Um, and I don't even know where it all, I don't know where it began. I just know that I always knew. Um, I will say one of my siblings that is adopted is biracial. And so for her, it was a lot more apparent that she was adopted. Um, and I'm sure that that kind of, opened up the conversation for all of us to be, you know, you know, told that we're adopted. So I think we all just kind of knew. And I'm sure that was partly because couldn't really be kept secret. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, you're just really tan. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I do think that that was really important though. Um, to always just know that that was part of our story. Um, and I'm thankful for my parents for doing that. Um, another thing, though, that I, you know, while thinking through this, um, that I think was really important, you know, I was trying to think like, okay, who is going to be listening? You know, is it parents? Is it children, you know, that are adopted or parents that are going to adopt? Um, 
And for those parents that are going to adopt or have adopted, I think um, something that's really important that I've discovered is um, that this is always something that you're still going to need to process at Mm. some point. And it in no way is to offend them. It's just, I think it's, it's probably somewhere in one of those stages of like development, right? With identity, you know? Yeah. I I should know this since I'm a teacher, right? Um, (laughs) You got kindergartners. They're just trying to learn how to tie their shoes, right? (laughs) So I, I think that that's just part of our development is our identity. Um, and so that's something that we all need to process and think through and, I did witness, you know, a lot of my sisters going through that in the teen years and kind of going through this, oh, who am I? And I want to get my, I want to find my birth mother. And that was not received very well by my mother. Um, I think she just kind of took it personally, took it like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. And I won't go into their reasons and her reasons for feeling that but I think what I um I think what was important for me is that I was still able to process that but I just didn't go through that with my mother um and as someone who adopted later in life um it's really important to me that my daughter knows that that's okay for her to think those things through and for her to wonder yeah. about her family. Um, and ahead, I've sorry. heard that. No, I was just saying, I've heard that from several different um, kids who are adopted who have grown up and become adults. And, and that's something that they've always, the, the, the ones that are super successful, that's a very common denominator. The, the two things that you've said, which are that it was never a secret and that they were allowed to ask the hard questions. Um, mm-hmm. I know that that was not your story, though, that you were not allowed to ask the hard questions to your parents necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. And so I know we were talking about this earlier. You know, we talked about the importance of for adoptive parents, um, you know, to have people in place in your life that you aren't the only person that that child can go to. Um, I feel like we have some great support systems of people that we know that she can talk to, that we trust, um, that we, you know, know we're going to feed her the same stuff that we would want to tell her. (laughs) Um, But don't do drugs, don't have sex, you know, all that. (laughs) But, um, But still to know that I'm okay with that. I, and my mother very much respects and loves um, the people that she, I mainly had a high school Bible teacher that I went to a lot. And to this day, my mother sings her praises because she knows that that person was there for me to counsel me through that stage of life. Um, and that just wasn't something that I was going to approach with my mom. Um, and would, so I think, oh, go ahead. No, would you suggest that, um, that parents wait for their, wait to see what their kids are going to do if they're willing to come to them? Or would you, would you encourage adoptive parents to put people like this in place, um, to put mentors in their children's lives and be an active part of that? I think, I mean, I think it's important for us to always have other adults in our lives. I mean, even with 
you know, my children that are six and two, I have other people that I feel like they have a rapport with. Um, so I do think it's, you know, I do try to approach, you know, I ask questions to Kennedy and I encourage talking to her about things, but, you know, there have been times where, um, specifically her aunt to be come June 16th, um, her aunt B, Heather, um, she has come to me and told me like, you know, Kennedy shared this information with me and we talked through this and I don't feel offended that she didn't share it with me. I'm so thankful that that situation came up and that someone was there for her. Yeah. Um, so yes, I'm available, but I also understand that, I mean, in the sense that I knew I was worried I would offend my mom, you know, I think that she also is probably going to have those natural fears too. And Heather's awesome because, um, she actually will tell Kennedy, is it okay if I tell your mom that we talked about this? And so Kennedy fully knows that, you know, I've had the, that I know about these conversations. Right. So, so again, it's this transparency of, you know, being open about things. And I just think that's so important. Um, and it's just, it's very different from my story personally um, in some ways because I was kind of afraid to go through that process with my mom. But I'm thankful because now I feel like we're really trying to safeguard our relationship with our child. Yeah. So that she develops and, you know, has her identity and so struggle with that. Absolutely. And so if you're thinking just of what, what contributed to you becoming a successful adult and not letting that inevitable identity crisis get you down as it does for so many, so many kids who have been adopted and just don't know what, what to do or who they are. Um, what, what, is there any other contributing factor that you can think of? And I know that you're a believer and, that is awesome, obviously. <laughs> and yes. I know that you would, you would attribute Jesus to a lot of that, but is there, um, I just, I'm, I'm curious, was there ever a defining moment where you, you know, maybe you were wrapped up in some bad stuff. Maybe you were making poor decisions as many kids do, where you just decided that this was not going to be a part of your identity. I mean, obviously, yes. Whenever I was thinking through like, okay, what has been my saving grace? I, you know, <laughs> Jesus is my answer. And, but I do ultimately, I mean, yes, he is at the forefront, but I do think that surrounding yourself, um, with supportive people, um, with good people in your life that are going to lead you down the correct path really help. Um, you know, just thinking through this, I was telling my husband, I said, it was important to me to know that I, I choose my family. Um, you know, it's not a piece of paper and it's not a blood relative that determines, you know, like, well, this is what my family did. So this is who I am. Um, I really felt like I was encouraged even by my siblings growing up. Um, you know, cause a lot of them did struggle with some different things and made some mistakes and went down some different paths. And, and they would encourage me, kind of pressure me and say, you're going to be different, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, which was stressful. Um, but it, it did encourage me to know, like, 
you know, I can choose the people that I surround myself with in my life and the support system that I have. Um, and so that would be almost my kind of tip for children that are adopted is I think it's important that we understand. And I know my daughter struggled with that because she was older when she was adopted and she struggled with like, who am I? Am I bailing on my family? Am I taking on a new identity? Um, and so it was really important for her to think through, like I choose my family and I choose who I am. Um, and I just think that was really important and freeing for her. I had people in my life, um, good adults in my life, other than just my parents. Um, you know, losing my dad when I was only 12 meant a lot of pressure on my mom. And so um, it was great that, you know, obviously the Lord provided people in, on my path that I really do think were my saving grace. Absolutely. So that was going to be one of the questions that I asked you was if, what advice you would you give to kids who have been adopted? And you answered that beautifully. But I also wanted to ask, what advice would you give to parents? Um, you know, firsthand, you know, both sides of this. And that is such a unique position to be in. Um, and so, you know, the struggles of, of what what to do and how parenting in and of itself is such a roller coaster of like, am I doing this right? Who knows? I guess oh. we'll find out in 20 years or whatever. Exactly. And with adoption and therapy, about me, exactly. You know? And with Ooh. adoption, it's just doubled. So what advice would you give to parents just to navigate this and to create contributing members of society as best we can? Definitely. Um, <sighs> I do not have the answers. Let me start with that. <laughs> uh, my children are 13, 6, and 2. So with that being said, I'm as someone who turned out okay, faith, <laughs> I'm stepping out in faith and the belief that, you know, um, we're going to do the best we can and that every child is going to be different and each kid's going to have different needs and each kid's going to make different decisions no matter what I put in front of them. Um, with that, you know, being said, um, my other two sisters are also adopted. And like I had mentioned, they, you know, really struggled and their stories don't look the same as me. Um, one of them is not married. Um, I don't want to go into too much and necessarily like yeah. disrespect them, but um, their paths have not been as easy. And I do think um, that's just, um, I do think some of it was identity issues and knowing who we are. I think part of that identity was losing our dad. Um, he was our rock. Um, and so I think that the adoption side of it, though, is a key factor um, that, really caused some struggle and still does in some ways. Um, I know I've had to just really reassure my sisters that, you know, Jesus knows who we are and he loves us and he didn't make a mistake. And he, um, he is perfect. Um, Cause I think they're always looking to what this perfect idea of a parent should be. And so anyway, their story is, you know, just really different than mine. And, um, I just, I think that 
we've just got to do our best. And we've also got to give our babies to Jesus and say, not my will, but yours be done. And, uh, yeah, just have that faith. Oh, I love it. And we talk a lot about sovereignty here on the podcast. And that's something that I feel like as adoptive parents, we get such a heaping dose of that so early on. Um, mm-hmm. When I talk to older women, especially it's just, you know, sovereignty is such a, a lifelong journey of learning how to learning how to understand that. And as adoptive parents, we have to, we have to trust in that so early on for our adopted kids who we had so little to do with a lot of their story. Ugh, and, yes. and we're, and, just trying to carry the torch into adulthood, so to speak. Yes. And we have to, and I mean, yeah, I could allow that. I mean, and I have at times allowed it to really consume me like those anxieties and knowing some information about my daughter, birth mother. And I have completely had these conversations with her. This is no shock. Um, you know, I'm kind of terrified. <laughs> there are times when I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, you could be a complete hellion as a teenager (laughs) and and I've even told her you kind of have every right to be because you've had a lot of crap thrown at you and you've been very mistreated and very beaten down um and there's a lot of reasons for you to be a very angry person um but we just I mean we talk a lot and she's a very smart girl so I think it's that's helpful because she I hope is processing this well, and I just tell her, you know, those are those are the places, those tough, broken places are where, you know, Jesus can make things beautiful. And that's where you're going to be a testimony. And, you know, when she would share some of that tough stuff with me, um, there have been some conversations we've had about, you know, he, you know, all those songs that talk about him making the broken beautiful and that, we cannot let Satan defeat us in that and that we just we have to allow it to be where where we step back and the Lord steps in. And with that, I have to have faith that, yeah, she's probably going to be a really horrible teenager. And, <laughs> um, I'm just I know what I'm doing right now is the best I can do. And I know she ultimately doesn't answer to me you know we pull the god card a lot (laughs) we're like okay jesus is watching (laughs) i love that though that she ultimately doesn't answer to you that is so encouraging and and kind of i don't know freedom giving to adoptive parents and it takes that load off and i feel like we we say this to ourselves all the time and we feel that release and then we walk out of the room and the burden comes back right back on Um, but my goodness yes I could just repeat that to myself over and over again that she alter he in my case ultimately doesn't yes. answer to me and uh mm-hmm. I love that that needs to be like on a poster with you know kittens or something. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Would they be hanging on a branch? Probably like like, like pa- pawing at a leaf or something. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It'll well, be I have adorable. To give a little shout out then because um I did this old old like looked like a 60s or 70s title like covered book and it was called discipline them love them and i did this way before i even had kids um with our friend Kanya and her mother-in-law um Kanya carlton god put her in there and the big takeaway from that um book study that we did was you know 
if you're going to correctly teach them, you know, you've you've got to put the focus on God being ultimately the one in charge. Because if you're just raising them to answer to you, there's going to be a day where you're not around. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not watching. <laughs> and so um, we do try to talk a lot with our kids about that, that you're not just doing this because mom and dad want you to, but God has called us to this. Um, and so... Yeah, even when they throw things back at us, like, well, you screwed up, which our six-year-old really likes to do right now. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, apparently we taught him the term freaking heck. He <laughs> said, Mom and Dad, I've heard you say that. You've said it. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I am a sinner in need of grace. <laughs> this sounds so, like a very sophisticated yeah. term, Kathleen. I know. I'm like. I don't know what the freaking heck he's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yep. (laughs) So funny. Okay. Well, we, uh, I'm just so grateful that you came on for a second time and you, I love hearing from you. You are so full of wisdom. So thanks for taking some time to share with us tonight. Yeah. Thank you for the honor. And I just hope, you know, God be glorified and it be exactly what somebody out there needs to hear. Because I know some of your podcasts have been exactly what I have needed to hear. Oh, well, thank you so much. All right, guys, I hope you loved that interview from Kathleen. She's so great. And next up, we're going to have Leah Barsky. Now, I teed this up a little bit in the interview, but I wanted to remind you, Leah was adopted from from Russia at eight months. So she wasn't a true newborn, but she was still young enough to not really remember any difference. Now, her parents never hid her her backstory and her history from her and that she grew up having such a rich understanding of her culture and who she was. And I love that. I love that um, Leah talks about in her interview how that was such a contributing factor to her never really going through an identity crisis. She never let that get her down. Um, I think her perspective is so important. And let's jump right into it. So, yeah, how's it going? I'm so excited to get to interview you. You know, we interviewed your mom back in season one, and she is such a delight. I'm sure you always feel like she's such a delight, right? Oh, yeah, all the time. (laughs) That's awesome. But so, you know, we heard a little bit of your story through her, but I'd love to hear it through your perspective. So what is your adoption story? So, yeah, um, I feel that my mom could probably give you a better, more detailed version of it. (laughs) <laughs> considering I was too young to remember any of it. But, um, yeah, so my parents went all the way to Russia to get me, and I feel like it was like a total God thing that that all worked out and that happened. But, yeah, they went to get me when I think I was like a few months old. And you probably heard my mom's episode with how that all went down. But, yeah, and then they moved back to Texas. We lived in close to like Brenham College Station area. And then we moved to Alvin, Texas, where I was raised and went to high school. So yeah. Nice. And, uh, and now you're in college in Colorado. And, you know, this is something that we talked about in her episode some, but you you definitely I mean, you're Russian, and you look Russian, if someone were to tell you that you were Russian, but growing up in Texas, you were mistaken for Hispanic a lot, right? Yeah, it was kind of, I mean, not weird, but like, my skin tone was a little bit darker. I also was like super, super tan back then. <laughs> and so, um, 
I would get mistaken for that, but I'm like, no, I'm Russian. So yeah, you never really got the opportunity because you're, you know, your mom is blonde and clearly white and your dad is also white. So I think that you, um, I think people were surprised sometimes that you were adopted, but adoption was always part of your story, right? Like that was never hidden from you. It was never. Yeah, it was never hidden from me ever, ever since I couldn't like remember since I was little. It has always been a known thing. To me, um, I forget the day, but we celebrated Gotcha Day when the papers were like official. It was like kind of like a second birthday, so that was always fun. And so um, they never hid it from me. They always said, "If you want, qu- if you want questions, like we'll answer them to the best we can." So it was always like a very open and very well known thing. Yeah, and I've never been like ashamed of it either. Like. I think that's so awesome. And so that's part of why I wanted to have you on the episode was just to talk about um, what you what you think that that is attributed to, because there are so many adopted kids. And I think you probably even know other adopted kids who struggled more than you did. And that was never something that you struggled with or, um, I don't know, had that identity crisis. And so what do you think went right for you? I know that your parents always really honored your culture and your heritage, right? Yeah, I mean, they weren't like giving me like, Russian food or like teaching me Russian, but like, I mean, what is Russian food? But, um, yeah, they were always like, if you want to, like, as I got older, my mom was like, if you want to like do like a DNA search thing and you can go do that, I won't be like offended by it or anything. I mean, I have never like wanted to do that. I don't know why. I feel like my mom is my mom. Like, nothing's going to change that. But I feel like, um, like going right with me. Like, they always made it a known thing, and it was always, like, a topic open for discussion. It was never, like, a hidden thing or something to, like, be ashamed about or anything like that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I I love that. I think that for so many kids, and and you and I have talked about this before in person, just that for so many kids, they they grow up, and even if they know that they're adopted, they, they feel like they have to go through this process of figuring out who they are or, um, or I don't know, separating themselves from their adoptive family just because they, they want to figure out, um, where they came from or who they look like or whatever, but that's never really been appealing to you. Why do you think that is? I think it's just cause it's always been a known thing. So it's never like been like a big curiosity in my life. I mean, sometimes I feel like that's like bad to say, but like, Like, I care, but I, like, don't want to spend the, like, my mom's my mom. I was raised here. Like, this is my home. Like, I feel like I wouldn't want to, like, make that dramatic of a change this late in my life. I'm 21. I'm about to graduate college. So part of me is, like, I don't want to make a dramatic change and find that out. But then part of me is, like, oh, what if I did? So what if you did? What do you think would, what do you think your (laughs) attitude would be? Or what do you think that your thought process would be? I don't know. I've never really thought about it. Some of my friends actually this past year, like my adopted friends have like found their birth parents and like some of them it went well, some of them it did not go well. So I'm like, I don't know. We'll just wait. (laughs) (laughs) So when you, I don't know, do you think that there was a time in your life where it hit you? Um, 
that 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 was a possibility that if you wanted to, you could figure this out, you could seek this information out and you chose not to. Was that was that fork in the road like a defining point for you or did it did it just no. never occur to you? It just never really occurred to me. Wow. I think, I think that's so awesome. Always like this is who you are. You've always been adopted. So, I mean, like known things don't always like change your life. So it's like. Like I said, it's always been a known thing. So I've never had like a ton of curiosity. It's not like I was 16 and they sat me down and were like, you're adopted. Like, yeah, it's just always been a part of your life. And I do, I do love that. I guess I just, um, I see so many adopted kids who let that identity crisis beat them. They, they let it become an excuse or, and, and I hate to, that probably sounds really heartless. I don't mean it like that, but they let mm-hmm. it become a reason for them to fall back a little bit or for them to distance themselves or, um, I don't know. What am I trying to say? Like maybe just to, to fail some to, to let themselves go or to struggle and, the, the reason that they cite is like, well, I was abandoned or I was thrown away or just those, those negative things that kids can tell themselves. And I don't know, did any of those ever come to your mind? Did it ever? Oh, never. No negative thoughts towards came to my mind, but I guess like if I'm to like talking to kids who are going through that and just think like your adoptive parents chose you, like you might have been abandoned, but they chose you. They wanted you more than anything and that's why you were adopted so that that's how I think about it like my parents chose me they love me even if I don't feel it sometimes they do (laughs) I love that that they chose you and they wanted you more than anything so if you were to give advice to adoptive parents um, to raise their kids the way that your parents raised you to just love who you are and appreciate your story what would you say I would definitely say, like, as early as you possibly can, just make it a known thing and let it be open for discussion. Like, I mean, I personally never had that much curiosity to, like, seek my birth parents, but some kids might. And I feel like that shouldn't be, like, hidden from them. Yeah. Like, parents shouldn't take it personally. Yeah. And I feel like if you're good at parenting, um, your kid won't just, like, totally abandon you for, like, their birth parents. Like, I've never heard of that happening. So, right. But I think that that's the make it open for discussion and it shouldn't be something to be ashamed about. Yeah, I think that that can be the fear, though, as adoptive parents, you know, as sad as it is, we 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 fear that they'll they'll choose someone else over us if we if we let them or if we let our guards down or something like that. And just throughout this podcast and talking to so many people who have had faith in God that that won't happen or um, just that we're it's not about us that we as adoptive parents are not that important um i'm learning better of it but it's stories like yours that definitely show me that that means so much to you as a as an adopted kid just that they are like they chose their kid like they're raising their kid it's always important yeah. So, and then you already touched on this a little bit, but if you were, if you were to give advice to a, a maybe an older adoptive kid, adopted kid who knows that they're adopted and is struggling with that, is struggling with who they are, who they belong to, what would you tell them? I would tell them that it's nothing to be ashamed about. Like your family loves you. They want to be around you. Like this is like, this is something that's part of who you are. It's not a negative thing. Gotcha. Ah, I love it. Unless you want to be president, then you really can't. But, you know, from a different country. 
rats you missed out on that one oops oh well <laughs> no free cases across the nation for y'all <laughs> uh, i love it well thank you so much leah this is yeah, great and Gosh, guys, that's so awesome. I, I'm so excited that we've gotten to talk to two out of three so far of our adopted kid interviews. Next up, I am so excited to introduce you guys to JP Bubbis. He's 19, so he's the youngest out of all three of our interviews today. And he was adopted at 16, so he very much remembers his whole story. And he goes into that quite a bit. And I love his honesty and his openness. And I know that that didn't come immediately, that he had such a bumpy start even after he was adopted, but he's come to appreciate his story and he's come to understand that through God, anything is possible. And I, I love it. I love, I love his honesty and I love his candor when he talks about his story. So let's hear it. Let's jump right into JP Bubbis. All right. Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast and welcome to JP Bubbis. How are you doing? I am great. Good. I know you just got off work, so you're probably like exhausted, right? Very. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But speaking of your work, I think that that is going to have a lot to do with your story, right? Yes. Awesome. So why don't you tell us about that? I'm so excited. Well, um, I guess I'll start where um, my grandmother, she raised me basically um, because my biological parents were um, they were on drugs or either in prison. Basically, I was born and I was born prematurely because my biological father um, abused my mom and that caused me to be born early. Um, after that, I started to live with my mom until I was five months old, five months old, and she took me to my grandmother's house, which is my dad's mom. Um, and she asked if she would babysit me until she came back from grocery shopping. Basically, she never showed back up, and my grandmother took me in. And life with my grandmother was going to church every Sunday, um, raised Southern Baptist. Um, so I knew who, I knew who Jesus was. <laughs> we were in church, like, maybe, like, five times five times a week wow like not kidding at all that's a lot we're so involved and um basically god was faithful um through every struggle or whatever um there were times when we didn't have food on the table or food in the kitchen at that and god would just provide or we didn't have enough money to pay bills and god would definitely um provide for that um a lot of times we we knew he may not come when we want him, but he, he's right on time. So my faith was pretty big at an early age. Um, so basically, I just lived life with her um, up until about seventh grade year. And seventh grade year, my biological dad got out of prison. And during this time, like while I was growing up, I always went to go visit him in prison. So... What kind of kid doesn't want their dad to be in their lives? So I always looked up to him. I didn't know what he did. Um, I just knew that I wanted my dad in my life. 
because I lived at the time with my grandmother and my cousin, and she was a girl, so <laughs> there were all women in my life. <laughs> I, I wanted some type of male figure. So I was excited for him to come out, and once he got out, it was nothing like how I expected. Um, I started to get abused every day. Um, he would beat me for basically no reason, and he would go out and get drunk, and and that that really affected me. I started getting in trouble and started to try to do gang things in, at school in middle school. Uh, we didn't live in a a nice area anyway, so it was easy for me to get caught up in a lot of negative things. And basically, I tried to get help one time. One time he really beat me bad, bad and drugged me across the floor. And I tried to tell a teacher. And basically, DHS got involved. And my dad basically lied and said that I he didn't do that. And somehow he got some other family members to say that I had been getting in trouble, which I had been at school, so they could already, my record wasn't good. So they said that I was an uncontrollable child, and I ended up, like, not getting any justice for that. So I was kind of hurt, not only by him and other family members, but by the DHS system. Yeah. Because they they failed me, um, because I felt like I knew I was getting, like, beat, but... They didn't believe me because of my background. Um, basically, he got into a relationship, and they got into some trouble, and he went back to prison. And so I just lived back with my grandmother, and while I was living with her, um, everything was back to normal. Um, she was a lady that raised me, so I loved her to death. I would do anything for her, and bills were still hard to be met and things like that but I was about to turn 16 this was after my ninth grade year um I was probably 15 about to turn 16 this is ninth grade and I would always want to work like whether that was going to um cut grass or sell some type of things or wash cars for money like I was always doing something to bring some type of income into the house so my granny wouldn't have to struggle or we wouldn't have to struggle. Um, so I knew at 16 I could, or at 14 I could get a job. So I started working maybe like, like at little camps and things, but I was about to turn 16, so I thought it was time for like a real job. So right before I turned 16, I started working at a place called David's Burgers. And the real reason why, <laughs> why I wanted to – a real job is because I wanted a new car, and I knew I was about to turn 16, so I could start driving. So I got my license and everything, and I started working there. I loved it, every every part of it. Um, I could go there and be somebody that my background said I couldn't. Um, I could go there and smile and cater to people, make other people happy, and that just made me happy. Um, basically... I got to know some really good people there, uh, two girls to be um, exact. It was Tabitha and a girl named Derica, and we were two peds in a pot. Um, they were a lot older than me, but they were like my older sisters. Um, they would look out for me. I could talk to them about some things and 
to share with them what I was going through. And they had heard my story before. So basically, um, going into my, I got my car and everything, and I finished sophomore year working there. Going into my junior year, um, my grandmother told me that my dad was about to get out of prison. And that kind of made me worry because I knew how he was. But, you know, something deep down inside, I was like, well, I can forgive him. I can't hold that over. And that's what the Christian thing would be to do. Um, So I just stressed that to my friends at work. And I was just letting them know, like, I'm kind of nervous about this. And they were like, well, if that ever happens, you can always come stay with us. And they have their own place. But, you know, I didn't think that was a good idea. Like, I didn't I only know them knew them at work and. Like, I don't know. I was just, I was young. I was still in school. I didn't know what to do. So, right. Um, they basically got out of, he basically got out of prison and he started doing the same things. He started drinking a lot and abusing me again. And I was just, at that point, I knew who God was. And I was just so upset with God because I, I was like, well, God, if you really love me, why are you letting me go through this? Like, why is, why is this happening? And at the time, I was just, I was so upset. And I got to a point of when he just, the abuse was steady in my life. I, I got to a point where I was either going to uh, commit suicide or kill him. And, and when I knew it was at that point is when he started to raise his hands to my grandmother, the lady that I loved and that raised me. And um, was this his mom? This was his mom. Wow. So he was really bad on drugs and alcohol. Um, and it really affected our family a lot. Like my relationship with my granny was really bad. I couldn't trust anyone. Um, but I started to share with the people at work about what I was going through. And it was just I worked all the time. I'm telling you, I was in school and a full-time student and I was working 30 hours a week just to stay away from home. Um, but somehow every time I went home, he would, he would, he would keep me up until like three in the morning, just like screaming at me and beating at me. And I, I, I was just so over it. So, but when I was at work, it was just, I could be somebody that I wasn't and I could smile and be happy and just have a lot of joy. And basically, the day that I made up in my mind, he he beat me really bad. And I was like, I'm done. And I was going to kill him. And I packed up all my things and I put them in my car. And I was going to sleep in my car. And the next day, I went to school like any normal day. And I just I didn't know where I was going to sleep that night. Basically, I went into work and... One of the managers pulled me over to the side, and he was on the phone. So I was like, okay, who do you want me to talk to? And at that time, I had called DHS again um, that day and told them that I wasn't going back, and then I was in an abusive home, and I told them that I was never going back. And um, basically, the manager, Jose, he's the one that hired me. He, he was taking me upstairs, and that's where HR was at the time for uh, David's Burgers. The company that I was working for and I was nervous to go up there because I was like well HR is where you get either fired or hired and I already had the job so I was like okay this is gonna be the icing on, on the cake I'm 
about to lose my job and I'm like don't know what I'm where I'm going to live and but I went into the office and I see these two white people <laughs> and I'm like who are they like I've seen their pictures hanging up in the lobby but I just never I never knew who they were and it was Alan and Jessica Bubba's holding a newborn baby named Moses and they were just they said well hey JP um we heard about what you were going through and we would just want to open up our homes to you and at that point I I really didn't know what to think and some people I didn't know at first but I knew I was in a bad situation and there was just something pulling me and then he went on to say well I have kids at the house um I have four little boys and he said well we go to church every Sunday and I was like well something in me like even though I was mad at God and I was like me too I'm saved out of nowhere I was like I know Jesus Christ and I don't know that had to be the Holy Spirit speaking through me um because at that time I was so spiritually low and um I just remember Alan crying and we all cried and we prayed. I told him my story and ever since then I've been living with them and DHS the next day um, we had to have a meeting with um, DHS and my biological dad and I went there and the next day and I went there, and DHS, the lady, was so rude to me. Um, she basically said that um, I could go to jail if they have no foster care people, um, no homes open for me. Um, that's where they hold foster care people. Um, basically scared me. And then she said that um, it's not what it seems. She said I could get into a home where they abuse me again. Um, and then she basically said that she had a party to go to, and that probably wasn't the best choice for for me. So she wanted me to make a decision really fast. And at that time, even though I paid my own bills and my own car note, um, my dad took my keys and my phone because they were in his name. And I was really scared. I couldn't call Alan and Jessica. Um so I agreed to stay, but instead of that night staying, um, I told them I was going to work, and I never went back. Basically, God worked it out, and it, it's just an amazing story um, how I worked for them for a year, and now they're my parents, and I've been living with them for almost four years, and just seeing baby Moses grow and and just seeing a new baby born. He was born five days ago. Just seeing how God uses this family in my life. It's just been a blessing. So that's been my story. Wow. That's, that's an insane story. <laughs> um, I just, wow. I'm like trying to think of what to comment on first. Um, so first of all, congratulations on the new sibling. Ooh. Um, yeah, that's exciting. So that makes what six, six boys, <laughs> Goodness, yes. your mom is a three saint. of us are adopted and three are biologically theirs. Wow. So. Did they adopt the other kids through the foster care system? They did. Okay, awesome. So you were never actually in the foster care system, right? I was not. 
right? But you, so you were 17, I guess, at the time of your adoption. I was 16. Okay. I oh, wasn't or, sure. Yeah. I was 16 when I started living with them. So. Gotcha. Okay. So, you know, the purpose of this episode, and we've talked about this, um, is just to, to talk about adoption success stories. So you're an adult now and you're clearly doing pretty well. You're in college, right? Yes, ma'am. And you're still working and you haven't killed anyone or been arrested. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so you're doing really well. Good job. <laughs> yes. Um, but what do you, what do you think you owe that to? Cause obviously I think that you have a lot of resilience. I can just hear that in that you, you didn't let your circumstances beat you down and to where you just gave up and you said, none of this, I have, I have no control over my life. And instead you took control. What do you yes. think caused you to do that? Because there are so many kids that are your age that were struggling with very similar things that just say, why even try? Well, one is that I was in that situation and I saw him like that. And I know someday I may want to have kids and I don't want to be that type of parent. So mm-hmm. one thing that pushed me is not wanting to be like my biological parents. Um, just wanted to be better than them, be who God called me to be and step into that role and I definitely can't be like that, drinking alcohol or doing drugs and not making good decisions. So that really caused me to want to change. Um, what caused the change are my parents and the the love that they showed me. I'm telling you, I've grown more in the three years that I've been living with them than in my whole entire life. Um, a lot of people that I meet now that knew me in high school, they're like, JP, you're totally different. Mm-hmm. And not only is that because of God, but that's because of my parents. Um, I'll let you know this. Um, so even when they took me in, um, I still, I still was go. I was going out to parties and I would drink and I would smoke, and I would come home at like four in the four o'clock in the morning, and my dad wouldn't say anything. He would be up. I didn't call him dad at the time. His name, he, I called him Alan. But he would be sitting at the bar, and um, he wouldn't say anything. He would be like, you had a good, did you have a good night? I would be like, yeah. And he'd be like, well, good night. And that went on and on. But I went to church with him every Sunday. And this was a new church, uh, something that I wasn't used to. I was used to a Southern Baptist black church. Um, and the church that I went to was a Baptist church uh, full of all white people. So I was the only <laughs> black person. Which was okay because I'm mixed anyway. So I was like, okay, I can fit in at least half. (laughs) (laughs) Half of your um, DNA fits in. (laughs) Yeah, so um, I started going there. Um, Didn't really fit in, but I could always – I was always a personable person. So I could always go wherever and talk to anyone. But um, my mom, Jessica, at the time, she – she signed me up for this camp during Martha Luther King like weekend. This is well, I was still sixteen, about to turn seventeen, and um, I don't want to go because it was four days. Can't have your phone with these white people. I don't know, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna feel uncomfortable. Um, I don't want to go this, but she signed me up anyway, and she was like, well, you're going. I paid my money, um, so I went, and God wrecked my life. Um, God came in and really that time, um, he was talking about, that's when Oh Come to the Altar came out and really music was a big part of my life. Um, 
when I was going through all that. That's how I really stay connected to Christ, even with prayer. That's one thing that my grandmother taught me, and that's how God provided food and money for us to live off of. So when I went to this camp, God really showed up in my life, and it was all about forgiveness and how God knitted me in the womb, and it was just in Psalms and like how he knows my every thoughts. It's Psalms 139. Um, search me God and know my heart and that's exactly what God knew and I there was just a realization that weekend knowing that God loves me so much and there was a purpose and there was a reason why I went through what I was going through and so when I went back um, basically I gave my life to God and my parents were like what has God into JB like they could tell something was different and I just started acting different that's and that's because I knew better but I'll let you know after this, you know, after you're on this mountaintop experience. Right. Um, the camp high. The camp high. You start to get back on. You start to go down the mountain. And I started to try to go to these different parties. But it was different this time. I would come back and my dad would be sitting up. And I would get punished if I did anything. Like if I was drunk or if I was high or if I was out too late past curfew. Um, he would take my phone and... He would take my car, and it was just different things, and I didn't understand that until now because I was kind of upset because I still pay my own bills, um, but I didn't understand, but he did it because he loved me, and it really correlates with the Father's love, that God loves us, and he'll that accountability that my dad had for me, and that's how God is. He'll correct you when you know what's up when you know what's right truly god will god will let you know and you'll know in your heart what's right and i'm telling you the love that my parents have showed me um throughout these years and my ups and downs and um through everything they've just been there and they've been there that support i'm telling you that that's a big part because a lot i'm telling you from experience I didn't have parents. I only had my grandma, and she only could do what she's raised her sets of kids. She didn't have to raise me. And there, there's just a difference between a mother and father's love than a grandmother's love. And that's what I was missing the whole time. And when I started to see that, that unconditional love that my parents have for me, it was different and something clicked. Like, I need to do everything that I can to pour into them because they're pouring into me. And that's how it is with Christ. I need to, he loves me so much. He pours into me so much that I want to pour into him. And it's crazy that they signed me up for this, um, to go to Kenya, um, when I like last year and I had never gone out the country and they weren't going. So it was my first time going out the country to a, a third world country in Africa by myself without them. But they trusted me enough. They, it was their way of shooting me out the quiver because um, they have trained me enough. And um, I went there, and God used me so much that I had never seen. I never know, knew that God could use me that much. Um, but it really is because they took the time to love on me at my darkest times. Crazy thing is is that I'm, I worked at David's Burgers, became a manager, general manager. I'm in corporate now. What? Uh, yeah, I was a manager before they even took me in. I was training for MIT. But 
<laughs> I've gotten I've gotten fired from David's Burgers two times, <laughs> and they're they're my parents and they own it. Um, and it's just that that tough love, that hard love, that unconditional love. Even when I am, even though they are my parents, they they know how to correct me, they know how to talk to me, and the best thing about it is that it was a learning process for them too, because they didn't know I, they all had kids that were ten and younger. When I moved in, so I was a 16 year old, um, had hard times, probably had a bad attitude, and it was just I. They didn't know how to how to have a teenager, <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of adoptive parents don't know how to raise a teenager, but it's it's crazy just their learning experience. It, that's what it was with me. Um, they would admit when they messed up or when they had mistakes. I would admit when I messed up or when I made mistakes. And we worked through them together. Even when my parents made mistakes or when my dad made mistakes, um, we would make punishments. He didn't always go through his. (laughs) But I would always, like if I screamed or something, um, I would always get punished. And I think it's just, it's just crazy to think about how much um, a father's love can just mean a lot. It, it really does. And the time, it, it really does mean a lot to to me. So. Well, and I have to say how awesome it is that you had, I mean, you clearly had some father issues. Um, I don't know how you could go through what you went through and not. And yet you still gave your dad now the grace and the patience and you didn't you let your your guard down which takes i I mean it takes all jesus basically but it also takes some work on your part because i imagine you probably i mean getting into the the like the the big words and everything here but i imagine you had some ptsd and other stuff like that that oh yeah i mean alan probably took some steps towards you and you had all kinds of memories, but you worked through those things and that's amazing. Yes. Um, so yeah, your, your parents sound awesome, but you sound awesome too. And I just, I'm so impressed that you've made it into adulthood and you have such a great outlook and you've made it through those hard times. And that's not to say that your life is perfect or that everything is great, but, um, you're such an amazing success story. And I, um, I wanted to ask you, so if you were speaking to a teenager who just got adopted and they are completely unsure of what's going on or how they're supposed to be, what what encouragement or advice would you give them? I would say um, that's hard. Um, I would say that to show their parents grace or whoever took them in grace because they've probably never been in that situation and that takes me back to when I first moved in um I felt like a lot of things that they were doing I I didn't understand them and it was hard for me to grasp that because I never had parents um as far as like getting on punishment or them taking my phone away I didn't think that I deserved that but it's all a learning experience and I, I I would advise them to don't be afraid to take your guard down um, and don't be afraid to take it one at a time. It's not going to happen all at once, um, but it definitely takes some work. 
and don't expect them to be perfect. Um, just know that we're made perfect in Christ, and we all far, fall short of perfection. So just know that everyone makes mistakes, including me, including you, um, and including our parents. So just know that take each day by day, um, step by step, moment by moment, and thank God for the little things because that's what it's all about. Yeah. Oh, that's some great advice. And so on the flip side of that, if you um, are talking to ad- adoptive parents who just got a teenager in their home, it's a, sim- you know, a similar situation to what your parents went through. So basically me, because I don't know how much you know about my story, but we we ad- we had a baby, an eight-month-old, and then we adopted a 14-year-old. So we were way out of our league and had no idea what we were doing. So what would you say to to people like your parents who don't know what they're doing, but they're just trying to make a difference? Basically, the kind of the same thing. Um, just, I don't know how spiritual y'all are, but um, really just take it moment by moment and step by step. You have to, I think it took a lot of times for my parents to tune into the Holy Spirit because I was not the friendliest at times. Um, and I, it took a lot of time. Um, it takes a lot of time to heal wounds and sores. Um, a lot of people think it's okay to just put a bandage over it. But um, even at, at the doctor's office, you know that they say to remove the bandage to let airflow get to the wound. So um, talk with them. Talk them through it. Um, listen to them. Um, I feel like a lot of times that's why a lot of disagreements in our household happened was because we didn't hear each other out. So I would just advise y'all to listen and and try to get to the root of the problem um, and find a solution together. So yeah, oh, that's great advice. Um, thank you so much, JP. I am so glad we got to we got to do this interview. I think it's so important for everyone to hear everything you just said, basically. <laughs> All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard, and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough, and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey, and He is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.